0: The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Media Institute for Social Change's Nonprofit Hour being broadcast from the studios of X Ray FM. I'm Jason Dennington. In Portland nonprofit news for this week, Adam Davis of Orion Humanities will be hosting a think and drink event with writer Eula Biss at the Alberta Rose Theatre on Thursday, July 30th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eula Biss, author of On Immunity and Inoculation, will join Adam for a conversation on vaccination, personal choice, and the public good, followed by a Q&A session. If you have news from your nonprofit you'd like to share, you can let me know at jason.dennington at x-ray.fm, or via Twitter, our handle is at Nonprofit Hour. To learn more about the Media Institute, you can visit on the web at mediamakingchange.org. In the second half of today's show, we will be listening to a conversation that host Julie Falk had earlier in the year with Adam Davis. And we really think about the humanities as tools, tools to get people connecting and talking. To start the program, we will hear a discussion between the Media Institute's Phil Bussey and Danielle Milan, who is a founding director of the Milagro Theater, which has been bringing Latino theater, arts, culture, and education to all the communities of Portland since 1985. And now, here is Phil Bussey.
1: This is Phil Bassi, and it is the Media Institute for Social Changes, the Nonprofit Hour, and I'm excited to be with Danielle Milan, who is the founding director of Milagro Theater. And you guys are—you're an interesting organization for many reasons. Um, and and why don't we start there? I mean, so you are a theater in the traditional sense, but you're also out on the road and doing some educational uh, pr- presentations, for lack of a better word.
2: Well, we, um, Phil, we started our theater in 1985, and uh, way back then there wasn't a lot of theater in Portland. So we were uh, actually doing traditional theater. One of our first plays was Relatively Speaking by Alan Ackborn. And uh, after a few years, our board of directors recommended we try doing Latino theater because we were coming from a Latino background. And so in 1989, we had the first Hispanic cultural festival. And from there, people just came out of the woodwork from all over, actors, poets, dancers. And we suddenly found our niche, this little community of Latinos. And the first thing that happened in 1989 was that the teachers from the ESL programs in Hillsboro asked us if we would take the children's programming to their schools because they had never seen anything like that in Oregon, bilingual theater for kids. And it was just such a great educational fit so that while our Theater in town, our Milagro Theater was growing. Teatro Milagro became the touring company that started in ESL, and then kids who wanted to learn Spanish, and then from elementary, then the middle schools were asking for a show, and then the high schools were asking for a show, and then the colleges were asking for a show, and then we got calls from Washington and California, and so that is how the national tour launched and while we still tour nationally we also have an elementary program and a middle school program and outreach that we do through the LGBTQ community with a sexual health coalition so we are busy
1: you have a lot going on let's talk about you and your interest in theater how did that happen were you were you hooked when you were in elementary school when you were a kid and like you're trying to do for some of these children
2: Well, I was a painter, actually. I was following the footsteps of my mom. I was going to be a visual artist and a a designer. And uh, one of my professors at the time, Eleanor Anton, asked me if I would be interested in making costumes because I knew how to sew. And then so I did that. And she says, you really have a knack for this theater thing. You should go over to the theater department. So once I crossed that vast campus at UCSD in San Diego, Diego, there was this sort of uh, team spirit that once you left one department and went to another, you suddenly became an expat. <laughs> and so there was no turning back. And so for me, that it was just theater from there on. I worked at the old Globe Shakespeare Festival. I worked at uh, La Jolla Playhouse. And then I moved to L.A. to go to graduate school. And that's where I met Jose, Jose Gonzalez, Uh who is lived in both places originally, from Texas and Corpus Christi, and also in Oregon, who had family here. We came to visit. It was so beautiful and green, not like L.A., all smoggy and crowded. And I said, we we could make something here. We could be like pioneers. And that was said by
1: many Oregonians yes. or, or Oregonians to be.
2: Yes, yes. My parents in San Diego were like everyone there is just lumberjacks. They all wear plaid and, <laughs> and boots. Danielle, your fashion sense is going to be so upset by the change. But I, I agree. I've grown to like Oregon after thirty years. I really feel like an Oregonian and. And now I, too, can criticize those Californians that don't like the rain.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I think it's really interesting. So you grew up in the San Diego area. Yes. And so, uh, I mean, obviously a, a huge uh, interplay uh, with, with Mexico and Mexican culture there. Um, how, what, what part of your life was that when you were growing up?
2: Uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, there you don't think about diversity you're just in a diverse environment it's not till you leave the diversity of a place like san diego and you come to a place like oregon where suddenly you see oh it's a minority uh as opposed to well that is changing though. i mean 30 years it's changed a lot now in oregon schools one in five children are latino Not a majority, but still it's growing and it's growing pretty fast. So they say by 2020 that that will take an even greater shift and Spanish is becoming the second most common language spoken in the United States. And
1: and I think also culturally and and correct me if this is incorrect, but this is now second, third generation Latino families. Uh, You know, many that came up here is uh, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, to work uh, uh, apple orchards or to work around the Woodburn area. And now our are second, third generation, which is a very different relationship to an area.
2: Exactly. And ironically, we find now in some of our workshops and performances in colleges that students are saying, well, I don't speak Spanish or I don't know very much Spanish because my parents wanted me to learn English. The emphasis was on learning English. And there's almost like a returning to the culture when they're able to see one of our bilingual performances or be, or be one of our workshops. They're like, wow, I really need to learn Spanish. I'm a Latino. I need to learn Spanish. So that's kind of an exciting and responsible part that I feel with my education program is preserving culture, sharing culture, preserving culture, retaining cultural pride, and stealing pride. So a lot of the plays that we take to uh, the educational plays focus on those issues of maintaining uh, culture This is
1: the Nonprofit Hour I'm Phil Bussey and I am talking with Danielle Milan from Milagro Theatre She's the founding director This is your 30th anniversary
2: Yes, and are beginning our thirty-first season. So Jose and I, we've been working away quite a long time in the world of theater. We've seen sadly theaters come and go. The Civic Theater in in downtown Portland was an icon for fifty years, and now it's a parking lot. That some of the new theater people didn't even know existed and so we're like we're not going to become a parking lot we will not <laughs> that
1: is a great model for any any nonprofit or any business isn't it yes unless of course you are in the parking lot business
2: yes yeah, so maybe you want more parking on your roof because parking is getting limited in the Portland area
1: <laughs> over the 30 years or I guess it's been more 25, 26, that the focus has really been on, uh, Latino culture. But over, over that, that time frame, have the themes, uh, that, that have been in the scripts that have been presented to you, have those changed? What are you, what are you seeing as far as themes that are, are current?
2: Uh, We definitely touch a lot on immigration. Mm -hmm. It it definitely comes down the road that a lot of things that are hot button issues will come up in playwrights' work or topics of conversation. But it's not always politics. A lot of times it's universal. We um, we just had our uh, International Women's Day and oftentimes the themes are themes that everybody cares about. So I think that's very important with some of the work we do, especially in schools. Um, the play American Night uh that we're going to be doing is a, a play, for example, that is about the rewriting of American history, not just from the Latino perspective, but the idea of that that as a nation, we can just change history if we want to that's that's kind of absurd, and yet those stories that remain untold in some of our old history books are really important to share. So not just the Latino, but the Native American voice. So a lot of the plays I've done have have touched on Native American issues, indigenous issues, women's rights, um, kind of all around the spectrum. And then um, the plays aren't always serious. We do comedies, too. And at,
1: at American Night is a comedy.
2: Yes, there's a comedy. Uh, and also uh, we have a national tour this year uh, through uh, the end of November of 2015 called Searching for Aslan which is written by Laquín Valdez uh, of Teatro Campesino and uh, here is a political satire which has some heavy issues but also a lot of comedy and singing and dancing as uh, a woman who's uh, lost her job because Mexican-American studies was closed in Arizona and she gets swept up in a storm much like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz and finds herself on the yellow brick road to find the missing uh, mystical city of Aslan.
1: So that you know that is a great setup for the the first song that we're going to play, and we're going to pull some music from uh, Milagro Theater's current touring show. Uh, this is Phil Bussy. It's the Media Institute for Social Changes nonprofit hour. I am talking with founding director Danielle Milan, and we're going to pull some music from their current touring show. Searching for
2: Aslan.
1: <laughs> Thank you. it's the Media Institute for Social Changes nonprofit hour, and that was just some music from Milagro Theater's t- current touring show, Searching for Azalon. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. I haven't. I. I. My Spanish is terrible. I. I. I took five years of it, uh, and whenever I go to to Mexico, I'm always with someone that else that speaks Spanish. And I sort of sit in the passenger seat.
2: The thing to do is just get yourself lost in Mexico, and then your your Spanish gets better really fast.
1: I find that. I mean, I think most people, they have certainly right now and the last few years have uh, their vision of what Portland is, whether that's from Portlandia or it's from, from living here. And those two things are not necessarily too divergent at times, and it's... Uh, hipster coffee shops and indie musicians. I would think that with Milagro Theater, you are probably seeing a Portland that is maybe not the, what the mainstream or the main viewpoint of, of Portland is.
2: I think that you landed on it when you said hipsters, because I, I what comes to mind is just around the corner from your studio here with Alberta Street and Mississippi Street, all the taquerias. There's a Peruvian restaurant on Mississippi. Uh, just the culture of Latinos is so popular because it's warm, it's inviting, it it uh, brings to mind warmer territory and Louder festivals and fun, so I think, I believe it's uh, last Thursday on Alberta Street, for example, lots of multiculturalism, uh, several Mexican restaurants all within blocks of each other, and I think... That explosion of Alberta Street is really kind of heading out the whole east side. Um, all around the neighborhoods you see Taqueria's food carts, restaurants, and uh, little uh, cantinas and little grocery stores where you can find, you know, all the wonderful things that make your life Spicier,
1: <laughs> Ab- absolutely, and and I'm wondering how that plays into uh, the audiences at Milagro Theater. Um, you know, you've said that you're working with scripts uh, th- that are coming from a national network of Latino and Latina writers. Uh, you're working with a core group of of actors and actresses here. What's the demographic of the audience?
2: The audience is very widespread. And I, and I,
1: I should just jump in be here because we're both talking about the audience at the actual theater uh, as opposed to the audience when you're going out into the schools.
2: That's also... Similar but different. So let me explain a little bit is that at our theater we do bring student groups. We get quite a lot of college groups coming who are studying Spanish. And the, as I mentioned earlier, the growing desire to learn Spanish being the number two language in the country that... More and more people are studying Spanish, and not just kids, but adults. Um, Latin America, Mexico, uh, Puerto Vallarta there's a growing, growing what they call snowbird population in Portland that uh, I'd say December through February they're uh, at their timeshares in uh, Puerto Vallarta and before leaving they usually flock, those snowbirds flock to the theater in September when we have our Luna Nueva Festival of uh, new works Uh, we bring uh, acts of flamenco dance and all sorts Sorts of different entertainment. This coming year it's going to be a children's theater festival. So uh, the snowbirds come, they practice their Spanish, and then off to Mexico. So uh, that's a really nice uh, audience that's grown over the years. So, in addition to the snowbirds, another big demographic is the hipsters because all those people that go to food carts and eat tacos. Sooner or later, they also want to embrace the culture on a, on a deeper level beyond tacos and enchiladas. And uh, so we're really working really hard to grow the younger demographic because um, my example of the civic theater earlier was that theater can be very uh, institutional and feel like, oh, you're going to the museum or you're going to the ballet. We want to keep our theater relevant so that, young people want to come. So we've worked very hard to grow the young audience and see the value of theater, uh, that it's engaging, it's fun, it's not like going to a movie, it's so immediate and in your face and it's exciting and different. And so that's how it ties back into the tour and the presentations we do in colleges because either the college students are coming to us or we're going to them and fostering that all the way down to the elementary school level, I have people come to the theater and come up to me, and they'll be like, I remember when you performed at my middle school 10 years ago, and I saw you in a play, and then here I am. Now here I am. I'm an audience member. I'm a theater goer. So so those are the moments where you feel that... All that work of 30 years really had some value when people come up to you and they were like, when I was a kid, I remember you.
1: <laughs> which, is, which is wonderful. I mean, the role that, that, that Milagro Theatre is playing in, in, in both entertainment and in cultural education is just, it's, it's really, it's incredibly expansive. And it's very exciting. And I, 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 and I think one one of the examples, uh, we were going to play a song from a recent production. You had uh, Tell Me Coyote.
2: Yes, "Cuénteme Coyote, which in English is Tell Me Coyote. Uh, is a, was a play I wrote after going and doing research in Arizona about two cousins crossing the border through Arizona. And it's a tragic play which begins with a scene in a malquiladore, which is a sewing factory where you have often heard of the women being abused. And so we had a young man, uh, With a group, it's called March Five, and he composed, uh, this song for our show, uh, which sets the tone for the beginning of the play, which is a very, uh, serious play, but does have light moments that engage, uh, Native American folk tales about the coyote who is a trickster.
1: And, and you know, and the, what you were saying about before is that the it is really engaging for younger demographic. And, and certainly I think you'll hear that in the this, in this song and in the music that, you, that you've chosen for your plays. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. We're going to take a quick music break. I'm talking with Danielle Milan from Malago Theatre. And this is a song from their recent production of Tell Me Coyote or...
2: Cuénteme Coyote. Cuesta pensar y preguntar alguna vez a dónde voy, de dónde vengo brown dust covers the city with a pity that I can't stay
1: here, cause la patria trying to get me perdido, not knowing pasado, still showing, all the scars of cop on my trek to big money flowing, pero nunca voy a ver esos dolares, se quedan en manos de nuestros opresores, corporate businessmen taking all the fame and the riches while my madres are the ones cooking the food in the kitchen, and taking care of the children, but guess what I'm so living, voy a la marcha protestar, better wages for living, and since I don't have papers, I don't trust no one mi tía de rodillas praying under the sun we shed blood sweat tears still do not seem set and drink too much sometimes so we get numb and forget but i bet you and dear todo esto de nada, a luchar perdida, espe- the nonprofit hour i am talking with the founding director of milagro theater Danielle milan and you guys have such a body of work that you 've done the number of plays, the amount of education, uh, outreach that you do. Um, I want we 've talked more about some of the stage productions let 's talk a little bit more in depth about uh, what exactly are Is Malago theater doing in the the public schools and and how does that work
2: well. Um in the public schools, as you probably know, for quite some time, uh, long before the recession, arts were something that were being cut back quite a bit, and uh, we saw a void that needed to be filled. So oftentimes, through grant writing, we are able to secure funding for free arts activities or low-cost arts activities. And so our touring shows for schools and our residencies are very low cost or sometimes even free. And, um, of course, those funders want to hear the hard numbers, though. They like the nice fuzzy stories, the wonderful um, quantitative, qualitative stories, um, but they want the numbers, and it's very hard to find statistics on arts learning so this last year, I started a case study on bilingual arts integration, uh, starting with a school out in Hillsboro, Evergreen Middle School, working for a year with the kids doing pre-testing and post-testing for reading and measuring the difference in how much more they could read and their comprehension. And on the average, we are running about 47% increased higher learning comprehension in these schools where we are able to use the arts to teach subjects like history and language arts using arts integration.
1: The reception from from the the uh, school kids that you 're working with has to be remarkable. I mean that when the theater company comes to school it just it has to feel in some ways like recess.
2: It is really exciting to see kids' faces light light up. And uh, one of the programs we have, which is a literacy-based program, uh, a play we were doing about Don Quixote set in a library, getting kids excited about reading the... Book fan had come. Every day they would come and bring free books for the kids, and hardly any kids would go and get the books. And the kids were watching our play, Aventuras de Don Quixote, where uh, he really, you see Don Quixote and why books are so important to him. And at the end of the play, all 60 kids got up, ran to the book table, and took all the books, and the guy said he had never seen that before.
1: That that's I mean that's so that has to be very rewarding to see. Uh, this is Phil Bussy. It's the Nonprofit Hour. Uh, it is my pleasure to be talking with Danielle Milan from Milagro Theater and talking about. Uh, the theater productions that they put on at their theater, but also the the educational outreach that they do uh, at schools throughout the the greater Portland metropolitan area. Um, Danielle, I just we're we're gonna wrap up our conversation, but I I, I want to talk about because this is the nonprofit hour uh, something that you just sort of tangentially touched on, but funding uh, as a nonprofit. It is, obviously, it's, it's wonderful to have something uh, that you can sell and you have ticket sales and that, that, that brings in a certain amount of revenue. Um, but as well, you're talking about uh, you receive funding to do these educational programs. Where where is where is your funding coming from? In terms of is this grants? Is this contracts with the school?
2: It's a combination. We definitely, as theater people, have to use our own creative thinking as well. And are uh, we have a board of directors and uh, a staff that are always working on every possible uh, revenue stream ticket sales and as you mentioned contract service so some of the schools are you know pay for these programs obviously um and some of that funding uh for the school assemblies comes through a, a local program called uh, Young Audiences Run for the Arts so not just um uh, funding that we raise but also working with networks like Young Audiences on the grant level we um get funding from the National Endowment for the Arts we get funding from the Oregon Arts Commission. Uh, we get, uh, corporate funding. Uh, the Wan Young Trust is one of our supporters. We have, um, independent companies. Uh, Ronnie LaCruette, Willie Kinsey Vineyards is one of our wonderful sponsors. Um, and, uh, also, um, Smaller foundations like the Carpenter Foundation. The, the list is is quite long. I, I would be here for probably half an <laughs> hour, uh, and I'm I know that I would leave people out, and I don't want to do that. But uh, also on the individual level, individual donors are extremely important. We have a name a seat campaign where people can have their name on a plaque on a seat. We also have some hand-painted tiles in our lobby where people uh, can have an, an image painted on a tile with their name to, to commemorate that. And that goes on the wall. And then there's individual donors through organizations. Uh, We have events like our Viva Milagro dinner in the fall, a wonderful Mexican dinner that celebrates Day of the Dead. And uh, for just a very small amount, people have a wonderful dinner and entertainment that's probably less than what they would spend uh, going out in, in a local restaurant.
1: Danielle Milan, uh, we're so happy that you came to join us in the studio, and and Portland, uh, and and the greater Portland area is so very lucky to have Milagro Theater. Congratulations on 30
2: years! Thank you so much, Phil. We're
1: going to close out with a song.